This podcast is rated G for general audiences, all ages admitted. Hola, willkommen. Mit Namen er Emma, Hülle und ich sprechen fünf Sprachen. Déjales cuento how I got there. If you understood what I just said, wow, I applaud you. But if not, no worries. Allow me to translate. Hi, welcome. My name is Emma Hülle and I speak five languages. Let me tell you how I got there. Growing up, I've had the privilege of being exposed to many cultures and thus languages, including English, Spanish, Danish, German, and American Sign Language. I speak and understand them all, however, mostly use English, Spanish, and Danish, as these happen to be my mother tongues. This has caused me to form the bad habit, or so I thought, of interchanging them. I like to explain it in the following way. I view my brain as a library, where books are words placed out in front of me. And when I begin to speak, I simply grab the book which is closest to me, which might not necessarily be in the same genre as the former or following book. In other words, when I begin to speak, I simply say the word that I think of first, which might not necessarily be in the same language as the former or subsequent word. However, I have learned that this is certainly not a bad trait and that it is actually due to a learning technique called brain plasticity. Brain plasticity can be defined as the ability of neural networks in the brain to change through growth and reorganization. It is when the brain is rewired to perform in some way that differs from how it previously functioned. And thus, returning to my personal experience, my brain rewired itself to understand and function in multiple languages at once. As you can imagine, learning about brain plasticity was a huge relief because suddenly, an action that I believed to be lazy turned out to be creative and progressive. Typically, brain plasticity is introduced to patients with neurological disorders due to biological factors or trauma cases, ranging from Down syndrome, dyslexia, Alzheimer's, and more. This is due to its metaplastic benefits, meaning that brain plasticity broadens the brain's ability to build neural networks, and hence is incredibly beneficial to these patients who normally lack neural pathway creation. However, it's important to note that the benefits of brain plasticity far outstretch the medical field, providing people with the ability to process information faster, problem solve more efficiently, and have increased creative capabilities. And thus, the idea of introducing brain plasticity to a larger audience, to one who doesn't necessarily have neurological disabilities, becomes immensely appealing. Think of a school setting. Brain plasticity would lead to the acceleration of education. Not in terms of having five-year-old high school graduates, but referring to teaching broader information and higher quality information to students. Children would be, able, would be able to increase their intellectual capacity, an aspect that
that should be demanded from schools with the rapid rise of artificial intelligence and its uncertainty for jobs in the future. In conclusion, brain plasticity is the closest natural thing that humans have to becoming superhuman. Nevertheless, current medical treatment is incredibly costly and sparse, making it unrealistic for 2,000 students to obtain. And thus, the following three main aspects will have to be in place for brain plasticity to thrive in educational bodies. The concept of enriched environments, cognitive training, and the idea of neurotherapy. Firstly, let's discuss the concept of enriched environments. They can be defined as any space which produces any form of stimulation, whether motor, cognitive, or social. Here, the goal is to have people conduct in both physical movement and social interaction to help increase learning, memory, and sustained attention. Now, one could say that some school environments could already be described as enriched. However, an emphasis, on the, an emphasis on them would increase their effectiveness. Though, it's important to note that the stimulating patterns of enriched environments are co-determined by a student's personal interest and the environmental facility of a school. And thus, schools would probably have to decrease in size and alter their facilities in order to attend to the needs and likes of each student. Albeit, let's say that a school attempted to create an enriched environment, taking into consideration its pros and cons. What would it look like? Meet Ted. Ted is a seven-year-old who goes to school in Mexico City. His school adopted the idea of enriched environments a month ago. Let's take a look at how his schedule has changed. Oh, cool. Now, Ted takes physical education every day checking off the motor stimulation talked about previously. And wow, he has a class called Puzzles, Crosswords, and More, Cognitive Stimulation. Oh, and I bet he'll be very happy about this change. He has 10 more minutes of lunch, Social Stimulation. Point being, simple changes can truly allow the brain to strive. Nevertheless, enriched environments will need the help of the second main aspect, cognitive training for brain plasticity's implementation to be successful. Cognitive training can be described as an approach that involves following a series of regular mental activities that help increase a person's intellectual capabilities. Examples of these activities can be as simple as playing a virtual learning game or practicing a new instrument. In fact, psychiatrists at Yale have stated that playing a five-minute brain training game directly before a math or English class increases student performance on the curricular content. This proves that the benefits of cognitive training extend beyond what is being worked on in the game. And thus, if a student were to play a simple memory game, they would receive more benefits cognitively than improved memory. On that note, let's revisit Ted. Ted used to have a four-class day schedule, which included Spanish, English, photography, and math class. However, with the new addition of the crosswords, puzzles, and more class, Ted's schedule has changed. Now, he takes physical education first period, 
followed by puzzles, crosswords, and more, and then English and math. And thus, by the time he reaches the more academic subjects, Ted's brain and body have worked out enough and are prepared to focus. This isn't to say that classes such as photography or Spanish are unimportant. Of course, they're necessary. This is just a different way to view Ted's schedule, a way that will ensure that Ted is both focused throughout his school day, but has fun whilst doing so. The last aspect to address in order for the successful addition of brain plasticity to schools is the concept of neurotherapy. Neurotherapy can be defined as the physical yet non-medical targeting of particular regions in the brain to stimulate them. Examples of neurotherapies include John Heath's PNT program. PNT stands for physioneurotherapy, and think of it like the physical therapy that athletes receive for their muscles, but instead of only having physical benefits, PNT has massive neural benefits. It includes one-on-one -on -one therapy sessions between children and counselors where bodily exercises or physical crafts are practiced which target regions of the brain that children wish to have stimulated. So, for example, if a student wished to improve their, I don't know, guitar playing skills, a light yoga session or acrylic painting would help as these activities light up the same cortices in the brain. To truly visualize the effects of PNT, the organization Learning Techniques conducted pre- and post-SAT tests, where one group, of, one group of students had received PNT for two years and the control group had not. It is important to note that all of the students in the study at the beginning were in the bottom 20th percentile of their class. However, surprisingly, when test results came out, Scientists documented that scores increased by an average of 43 percentile points, scoring in the top one-third percent of SATs, of course, in the students that had received PNT. The outcome of the study was so impressive that the school's administration decided all of their students deserved to receive PNT. This school, surprise, surprise, was TED school. Let's fast forward a bit. Whoa, this is Ted now. Look at him all grown up. He just graduated high school with honors, thanks to brain plasticity. Now, of course, I understand that both Ted and his school are the perfect case study for brain plasticity, and that not everyone would see the same improvements as everyone's brain is structured differently. Nevertheless, it baffles me as to how more educational institutions have not adapted it yet, knowing all the benefits that practicing brain plasticity awards with no repercussions otherwise. With the help of enriched environments, cognitive training, and neurotherapies, schools would be able to elevate their level of education and the quality of students that they would be creating. Yes. I admit that the reinvention of education seems quite futuristic and therefore frightening to some. Nevertheless, employing brain plasticity has the power to reactivate the brain in a century where we always seem to be asleep. I urge that brain plasticity be utilized in schools and not just practiced individually, as the extent of its virtues cannot be measured unless everyone participates. Learning isn't about making one individual smarter, 
but about building powerful communities. And I mean, come on, let's be honest. Are we truly living if we don't meet the superhuman version of ourselves? Thank you. <laughs>